we're, we're looking at, at, at how this builds us together as a people. And I've said it every week, it, it bears mentioning again and again, that if, if what you say you believe doesn't flesh itself out in how you live and how you are with one another, um, you don't truly believe what you think you believe. Your, belief, your, 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 your function and the, the life and the culture and the feel of a church is actually evidence of what the church holds to doctrinally. And so whilst we do dig into doctrine every week, we're pushing ourselves. So this is both an aspirational series and a diagnostic series. It's like we're looking in the mirror and saying, are we this kind of a church? Are we a church of grace and welcome? That's, that was our first week. Can anyone come here? regardless of what they look like, what they've done, and, and, and experience the same welcome that everyone else gets. Do we welcome one another like Christ welcomed us and, and other weeks we've looked at? Today we're going to look at something that, that I've never, ever heard a message on. I've been a Christian for 20, 30, I don't know, years now, almost 30 years, almost 30 years. I've never, ever heard anyone preach on the passage I'm preaching on today. It's actually only one verse that I'm preaching on. Um, so maybe you have, but I haven't. Now, don't, don't look terrified. It's not like this is an encouraging one. We're looking at today at the culture of honoring one another, of honoring one another. I'll, I'll read the verse that we're going to look at, and then I want to make some comments before we dig into this and then other verses. You see it in Romans 12. Romans 12 has got like just like a, almost like a checklist kind of thing. If you see it in the context, if you've got a Bible, you'll see it's like one line, one line, one line, one line, do this, do this, do this, be like this, be like this. And in Romans 12 verse 10, it says this, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Depending on the translation that you're reading out of, it might say outdo one another in showing honor. It's the same kind of idea take the lead in honoring one another let's pray for god's help as we dig into this simple and single verse and see what god is wanting to say um, to us and how he's wanting to shape us through his word this morning let's pray father you are the living god we're so grateful again this morning that we worship the living God. We don't worship statues and icons, ideas, books. We worship a living God. You've promised to presence yourself amongst your people in particular ways when we gather. You're always with us. You said you would never leave us or forsake us individually, but You've also said that when we gather together as kind of this temple of living stones, as we seek you, you would draw near to us and you would presence yourself. And we sense that you're here this morning. And one of the things that you long to do is to speak life-giving words to us and to open up our, our eyes and our minds and our hearts to the truth of your word. And you, you do it through the teaching presence and work of, this, of your Holy Spirit. And so we pray again for his help this morning to, to speak to us and to help us to hear, hear what we need to hear and to do this miraculous work of shaping us as a people through the preaching of your word. It seems like such a, sometimes such a foolish thing, such a simple 
outdated kind of thing. And, and yet we, our full confidence is in the fact that you, our living God, speak life-giving words to us. You knit us together and you make us look more and more like Jesus Christ as you do this work. And so we humble ourselves under that again and we pray for your work amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen. When it comes to honoring and a culture of honor, this is one area where I think the world, if you want, gets this so upside down and so completely wrong. So completely wrong. It's like there's not always such a collision, such a felt collision between uh, following Jesus and, and, and some of the world's kind of systems and beliefs. But in this, I think there is a head-on collision between how the world sees honor and how the Bible sees honor. And uh, you just think through a few examples with me of how, how the world gets this upside down. We, we, just, had, we just had the Grammys uh, last week, I think. Uh, by the way, if, you, if you're not, don't follow that kind of stuff. And we had a South African win a Grammy. Um, one of our young ladies, I think she's like only 20 or something, she won a Grammy. I can't even remember her name now. It's, it's Tyler. Thank you. Thank you. I know the song. That's how cool I am, Oaks. I know the song. I'm not going to sing it for you. I'm not that cool. Um, and she won, and it's wonderful, and they affirm them. And if you watch the Grammys, everyone's just like, oh. And it's just like, and they'll talk about it for weeks afterwards, weeks before, like, Who's going to be there? What are they wearing? And then it's like it all happens and the, the, the eyes of the world are on the Grammys and then they, they dissect it for another couple of weeks afterwards uh, before they move on to things like the Oscars and stuff. And it shows you in some ways the world's value system. We take musicians and we have these and, and actors and we have these massive functions where the eyes of the world are turned on affirming them and honoring them. I have never, maybe I missed the invite, and seen all the advertising, seen the teachers and nurses Oscars and like kind of award ceremony. Have you ever seen one where they just like trot out all the world's best nurses, the best teachers, the best stay-at-home moms, and everyone's just like amazing. Lifetime Achievement Award for being a stay-at-home mom, 10 kids down. This woman is amazing. And everyone's like, oh, you know, the pictures all over the place and everyone's worried about what she wears. We don't do that. We don't do it with the people who actually do all the real heavy lifting. We fawn over people who have musical talent and who can act. I don't know why I did that for acting. Obviously, I need to go to acting school. But can you see how the honor system is upside down? We roll out the red carpet for some people and the rest of the people, most, not so much. Politicians we fawn over. They come in motorcades, blue lights, whatever else. They're obviously more important than you when they drive on the highway. Uh, yeah, yeah, we go. Now everyone's going to get all the worked up. Yeah, I'm not meaning to get everyone on a crusade against them. It's not hard in Joburg to turn our wrath against them, our overlords. Uh, anyway, stick to the notes, yeah. That wasn't, yeah. T tonight is an interesting, another, another interesting one. Tonight is the Super Bowl, in case you didn't know. Well, it's technically it's tomorrow morning at Hoppus One. I know you're all going to be up for it. Um, as South Africans, not. Um, but the Super Bowl, they honor only one person at the Super Bowl. Okay, two people. The person who does the halftime show, the whole world kind of stops, in America at least, and they'll focus on the person who's doing the halftime show. I don't even know who's doing it this year. It doesn't matter. 
Um, and then they give an award to one person. The MVP, the most valuable person, is always the quarterback of the winning team. The guy throws the ball kind of thing. I mean, he made the big decisions and all the kind of plays, and they honored And they, they, you must see how they dissect and talk about the MVP and those quarterbacks. It's like a worship culture. It's worship almost of those people. We're not that far away in case you thought we dodged a bullet there and us South Africans pat ourselves on the back. Did you go to the airport when Sia and our friends came back with that trophy? Put your hand up if you did. No, I'm not going to. I'm not. Tyler, you did not. Really? Wow. You were not on my top 10 people who would have been there, but well done for going. I avoided it. I hate crowds. Our country lost our collective mind when those oaks got back with that trophy, didn't we? Yeah, we did. I was in East London, flying back from East London when Sia and friends were doing the, the bus tour thing there. They were arriving at the airport the, around about the same time my flight was leaving. There was a sit-in in the departure lounge. Everyone was sitting there saying, we're not leaving. We're not catching our flight on time. We want to see Sia and the guys come through with the trophy. We're not moving. And eventually one of the Safi people said, you can stay here if you would like. There's a, a flight in an hour and a half's time. But that plane out there is going when it's supposed to leave. Sitting over everyone on the plane, they got their way. But South Africans, we were like, these are the guys. We're excited. We want to honor them. There was, has been no bus parade. For our nurses, our doctors, our teachers, and the stay-at-home moms. I just keep using that order. We have an honor scale that elevates some above others for reasons that are unknown maybe to many of us. And just in case you think that it's only in the world of politics and sport, this disordered honor phenomenon has snuck its way into the church. It snuck its way into the church. I have a friend who is was in a, in a largest church in America. This doesn't only happen in America. I'll explain in a second. The culture in this church was when the senior pastor walked into the room, everyone had to stand. Regardless of who you were, if you walked into the room, everyone stood up. And then when you sat down, then you could sit. I don't think it's such a bad idea, actually. No, I'm just kidding. Obviously, it's an awful idea. I mean, where does that come from? This whole man of God thing is a pervasive thing on our continent. I know some people who only will call me Pastor Doug. They can't get it out of their mouth to just call me Doug. I'm not allowed to call them architect or whatever or doctor or whatever or engineer or whatever, but they have to call me pastor because I'm the man of God. And I have a different kind of authority and like spookiness around me. This man of God kind of nonsense is weird and it's unbiblical and it doesn't help. It may have the appearance of honoring, but it, I think it actually works against it. The world system of honor is different to what you see in the scriptures. And Paul writes, we're going to look at, at now to the Philippians. And in the time of Paul writing, this is how honor worked in the Roman culture. Romans believed that only the gods could bestow honor. Only the gods could bestow honor, and the gods only bestowed honor on a few people. And it was on the wealthy and those in positions of power. So the gods kind of just picked Andrew Byrne, 
and bestowed honor upon him and he became powerful or unclear and she became wealthy. And so that was a, a distinguishing marker. If you were wealthy or powerful, obviously the gods had picked you and honored you. And an honor was conferred from the gods upon you. Can you understand how the Christian message of honoring one another sounds like it's from another world? When Paul initially writes that to the Romans and he says, outdo one another in showing honor. They would have heard that and thought, to each other, everyone, not, not just the man of God, not just you, Paul. You mean all of us must honor everyone else. It, it, it would have sounded like he was speaking a different language. So where does this, where does the Christian view of honor come from? If you like reading, which hopefully you do, I want to commend to you a book by Tom Holland uh, called, he's a historian, the book is called Dominion. We'll show you how the, the Western world in particular has been shaped in ways it's unaware of by Christian values. The whole idea of human rights comes from where? It comes from the Bible. It comes from the Bible. Our legal system comes from the Bible. The value of people that in our cultural moment now, every person, no matter how you are made or born or identify or whatever, that there's value on you. You know where that comes from? It comes from the Bible. It doesn't come from secular humanism. It comes from the Bible. It's a uniquely Christian thing. Why? And all drills down into this. Before we get to honoring one another, this is the foundation, the doctrinal foundation we need to build. It's called the image of God. It's called the image of God. You are created, according to Genesis 1, in the image of God. It says that Genesis 1, it says it multiple times from verse 27 onwards, let us create them. Male and female, male and female, just in case you get excited, guys, that it's just the dudes, male and female together, together, image bearers of God. Not the clever ones, not the pretty ones, not the helpful ones, all of them. Every single human being is an image bearer of God. That is a uniquely Christian message. And that is the message that in the early church turned the Roman world upside down. Because if they believed that only the gods conferred honor on a few things and they were happy to leave a child outside as a sacrifice or just, I don't want this kid, I'm just going to leave the kid on the pavement. There's no honor in this guy. There's no intrinsic worth in, the, in this child. I wanted a boy. This is a girl. I wanted a girl. This is a boy, whatever. Just disposable humans. The Christian worldview and message throws that on its head because it says that every single person, regardless of the value they add to society, is an image bearer of God and as such has intrinsic dignity, worth, value, and respect. That is a uniquely Christian message. You won't hear that anywhere else. Psalm 8 Verses 4 and 5 says this, what is, just diving into Psalm nature, what is a human being? You might have heard the translation, what is man that you're mindful of him? What is a human being that you remember him? A son of man that you look after him? You made him little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. 
crowned him with glory and honor. Every single human being in the history of the world has been crowned by God with glory and honor. That's remarkable. It's remarkable, and it is the doctrinal foundation on which the culture of um, dignity and worth and mutual respect and honoring comes from. That we are made in the image of God and crowned with glory and honor. It's not just it's not just a creation thing. It follows on from that. That's how the everyone uh, how God has made everyone. It flows on from that. Jesus coming into the world. An example that Jesus puts forward to us. When Paul is teaching and building an argument to the church in Philippi, this is what he says in Philippians 2 verse 3. We can read from 3. You'll, you'll, some of you will recognize these very famous passage, but let's start in chapter 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or, or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Let's just stop there. That sounds like something from another world, doesn't it? Don't rush past it. Don't read it too quickly. You should consider others more important than yourself. And you should look to not only your own interests, but also the interests of others. I can tell you that On a daily basis, I have no problem preferring my needs above your needs. I don't have to work hard at it. I don't have to think about it. My default setting is selfishness, and so is yours, because that's the wiring of the human heart, is to just focus on ourselves and to think a lot about ourselves, to worry about ourselves. And it is a miraculous work of God. It's an intrusion of God. When this, when you are transformed to think more highly of others than of yourself, you value others more than you value yourself. This is a uniquely Christian thing because it's miraculous. And you don't just, you're not just worried about yourself, you're worried about others. I'll just throw a side comment out here. One of the reasons why our culture is is overly anxious, depressed, and overly medicated. One of the reasons is because we think that we are the star of the show. And your life is all about you, and you're so wrapped up in yourself. We were designed to give ourselves away to others, and to follow God's instruction to prefer the needs of others over our own and worry about other people. When all your thinking is about yourself, you are not doing what God has designed for you. And that causes... um, and elevated levels of anxiety and self-importance, self-reflection, a whole bunch of things. Not all bad things, but to a degree where it can be paralyzing. So that's the instruction Paul gives. But why does he give that instruction? Why does he say, consider others more important than yourselves. Look, look to the needs of others, not just yourself. Why does it? Well, he carries on. Verse 5, this is the bit that you probably know. Verse 5, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Have the same mind as Jesus Christ, who exists. I can't read only one of these verses, so we're just going to read the whole thing. It doesn't all pertain to this, but this is one of the passages of Scripture you can't stop once you get going. All right? 
who existing in the form of God didn't consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. And for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He gives an instruction and then he gives the motivation. He says, I want you to prefer one another's needs and not think about yourself only because this is what Jesus did. This is what he did. This is his example. He could have, he could have exploited the, the CSB users. He exploited the NIV, I think, says held on to his glory, his place in heaven. He didn't have to leave there. And he chooses to leave and to empty himself, to divest himself of his Godheadness and his comfort of heaven and come into our world, identify as a man and humble himself to the lowest place so that he could serve the world by dying on a cross. It is even the death on a cross. And because of that, God has exalted him. The example of Jesus is the ultimate example of preferring the needs of others above yourself. It's the ultimate example of thinking about other people instead of yourself. There's nothing that Jesus needed to do to go to the cross. There was nothing in himself that needed to go there. All of it is for our benefit. Everything that drove Jesus to the cross is for us. And the, the humility that, that Paul talks about to the Philippians here, the word humility equates to lowliness, a place of, of just being low. Jesus comes into the world with fanfare, into place of power, privilege, comfort. No, he, he comes largely almost homeless into a little backwater town in the middle of nowhere. Everyone's like, seriously, he came from there? Like nothing good comes from there. He, he didn't come into anything. He comes to the lowest so that he can serve everyone. It's not, it's, it, it is example and it's, it's transformative. How, how could Jesus do that? Have you ever thought about that? How, how can you go from where he was to where he ended up? How do you do that? It's the, it's the biggest leap in the world. It's the biggest leap that the world will ever see that God himself becomes a man and becomes humbled to death on a cross. There's never going to be any kind of humility that looks the same as that. How did Jesus manage to do that? I'll tell you why he, how he managed to do that. Because he knew who he was. He knew his true worth and his true value. He knew that he was the eternally loved son of God and nothing that he did would ever change that. And when you are secure in your true identity, you can descend to the lowest place to serve everyone else because you're not having to make a name for yourself. You realize that you have already been given honor and the name, a, a, a name of honor and respect and love from your heavenly father. You don't have to make a name for yourself. You don't have to prove anything. You can go to the lowest place like Jesus did and serve everyone above you. It's the only way Jesus can do it is because he knows exactly who he is. 
So we've looked at the image of God. We've looked at Jesus' example. The image of God in others is the only thing that can help you serve and honor everyone. I'll say that again. The, the understanding of the image of God is the only thing that will help you honor everyone, not just the superstars and the overachievers, the Oscars and the Grammys and the Springboks. Because if the image of God rests in everyone, everyone can is equal and everyone is worthy of equal honor. If you miss the image of God, then we honor on the basis of contribution. What you've added will acknowledge you for that, will give you a triple thumbs up, like thanks so much. But if it's on the basis of the image of God, there is no difference. We are all image bearers of God. So unless you start with that doctrinal truth, you are unable to honor everyone. And the example of Jesus leads us to a place of humility. And that is the soil where honor grows. Example of Jesus leads us to follow him in his humility. It's the soil, like I said, it's the soil where honor grows. Like I said, your your, your love of yourself is so wired into you, it's so natural. You don't have to try and think hard about it. But imagine uh, the 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 reverse scenario. <laughs> this is why we need the gospel. I'll say this before we imagine a scenario. You need, and this is what the gospel promises: is a new heart, new power new affections, new loves, new priorities, new person to follow, and that's Jesus. The gospel changes everything and it changes you. And we need that. We need that to drive us to the place of humility that you didn't, you didn't sign up to follow Jesus. He called you to himself and he saved you. You didn't save yourself. He called you. You didn't sign up for it. He chose you. You didn't choose him. And from that place of humility, we respond in loving following of Jesus. Because here's the scenario. Imagine, imagine I come up to you and I just start honoring you. I come up to Derek, easy guy to honor. I just start honoring Derek for his character and his contribution to our church. If Derek's heart is not anchored in the soil of humility, very quickly, my intended honoring words will go to his head and to his heart. And you'll think, I am actually quite special. Quite true what you're saying, Doug. He may not say it out loud, but in his heart, he's tempted to think, yeah, <laughs> well, you missed out a few things on how spectacular I am. But anyway, I'll take the, the crumbs that you picked up on there. You know, so easily. Just think of yourself. The last time somebody honored you and encouraged you. What it felt like. We are an under-encouraged crowd. Where's my amen, people? They're missing in action this morning. We are an under-encouraged. Think of the last time you thought you woke up and with you. I'm so over-encouraged. I wish people would stop encouraging me and affirming me all the time. I cannot take it anymore. No one's ever felt that, Emma. We are an under-encouraged crowd. That's why we want to talk about this building a culture of honor and encouraging Honoring and honoring and encouraging one another. But if your heart is not anchored in the soil of humility very quickly, it goes to your head and it goes to your heart and you can get puffed up and overblown and the intended honoring or encouraging can actually have an adverse effect on you. And that's in the receiving and in the giving. We give 
we give honor, we give encouragement for disordered motives. We do it to be thought of well by somebody saying, you know, I'm going to go and just encourage and honor, you know, Brian. Yeah, yeah. You know, because then I can see in his face, oh, wow, he's so appreciative. And I walk away thinking, well done, Doug, you know, what a, what a good OQR kind of thing. Very quickly, your, our hearts are so jacked up that it doesn't take much, even in a good thing like that, to lose our way. We need, at risk of repeating myself, to anchor our hearts in the soil of humility. And you do that by staring at the humble one and considering him. That's what Paul says. Have this mind in you that was also in Jesus. Have it in you. Think about him. Follow his example. You went from the highest place to the lowest place. Ponder that. Think about it. Follow his example. And from a place where your soul, your heart is rooted in the soil of humility, then let's get honoring. Let's get honoring. What does a culture of honor look like? Well, Paul says here that we should take the lead. That's the word he uses, the phrase. Take the lead. Outdo one another, the NIV says, in honoring one another. It doesn't just say honor one another. He could have written that, couldn't he? Honor one another. He uses a few other words there. He says, take the lead. Outdo each other. Like, make it a competition almost. Some of you are competitive. Some of you are not competitive. But some of you are very competitive. I've played 30 seconds with enough of you. I know that there are some very competitive people in this place. I will not mention your name. Names, I'm not shaming you. But Paul says you should make it a competition. Take the lead. I like the, the, the translation, take the lead, more than the outdo. Because if you're going to wait... If you're going to wait for someone to come and honor you, you may be waiting a while. If you follow Paul's injunctions to take the lead, then you get on the front foot. Go and find somebody. Go and find somebody and honor them. And I would, you know, we get into some of the practical things. It, 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 honoring is a few things. It begins with recognizing the worth and the value that people have intrinsically and treating them with respect and love and honor just in the course of who we are and how we function with, with, with one another. But it, it, goes, it goes past that. M- many people, I think, sometimes think the most wonderful things about other people and never ever say anything. Do you know how encouraging it is to be thought well of by other people? It's not. Because you know nothing about it. You can't, you're not a mind reader. You know, you guys all might be thinking, Doug is particularly good looking. I don't know that. You have to come and tell me. You have to actually come and tell me that to my face. You know, that's an easy one. What I'm saying is that it doesn't help us to think kind thoughts and send thoughts and prayers. What Paul's talking about here is getting close to somebody and opening up your mouth and looking in the eyes, looking them in the eyes and honoring them and encouraging them. What are you looking to do in that moment? There is a, a slight little off-ramp here where we can also lose our way. That we only honor people for contributions and not their character. I want to warn you around this, that you don't just honor people and encourage them around things that they've done. Because very quickly then all they ever hear is your worth and your value is all around what you do. 
when you do this, when you do this, when you do this, when you do this, thank you, thank you, thank you, you're the best, you're the best, you're the best. And all they're hearing is keep doing that. If you stop doing that, the honor stops. Character and contribution. Let's get into the culture of honoring people for the character that they display, the way they carry themselves, the trials that they've been through, how they love the Lord, how they're a blessing amongst our community. I think it's a threefold thing. It starts just with who they are, just honoring people for the fact that they are, they are here and they are image bearers of God. The second is the character that they have and display. And third category would be the contribution that they make to our church and to your life. And so my, and the thing that you're looking for, the last thing I'll say here is this. You're looking, I heard somebody once describe it as the, the fingerprints of God's grace on the person's life. Some of you know each other better and you've walked longer with each other. You know and you've seen the signs of God's grace in people's lives. You've seen how they've navigated difficulty or trial or hardship or how they've grown, how they used to struggle with something they're not anymore, how they've been front-footed in loving or serving our community or you. They've borne burdens with you and others. There's a million different things, examples. Signs of God's grace, those are not natural things. You're looking for the activity of God in somebody's life and you're wanting to affirm that and call it out. I had multiple ways of ending this sermon and I've binned all of them except just closing in prayer. One of the things I wanted to do was shorten the sermon, which I didn't. Uh, the other was just to march up and down and just to pick people out and just to speak encouragement and honor over you. But I realized I would be here for ages and I would miss a whole bunch of people and it may have an adverse effect. But as I'm looking at your face now this morning, I can think of a million things that I can honor and affirm and encourage about so many of you. The fingerprints of God's grace. You're not the people that you were. You're not the people that you were. And some of you have endured the most difficult things and your faith has been refined like gold through fire. And some of you are becoming, as the Bible describes, more and more like Jesus, more lovely like him. Your love for this community is growing. I know, I know people who have wandered into this community. They never ever used to serve. They just used to attend. Church was all about them. And God has flipped the script on them. They are some of the most faithful serving people in and amongst our community. And again, and I could carry on going. Here is your homework. We want to be doers, not just hearers of the word. I want to encourage you to find someone. Start with someone. You can make it a longer list if you want. Find somebody to honor and encourage. Think through what you're going to say. Don't make it just about what they do. Don't think happy thoughts about them. Some of you are terrified of speaking to people. You can send them a WhatsApp. It's not as great. I think this is better done face-to-face. -face. But I understand there's some difficulty for some people in that. I'm not going to prescribe it. I'm just going to say, let's, if we want to build a culture of a church, imagine with me again, as we do every week, imagine a church where the people that you followed Jesus together with and served and lived and shared life together with were your biggest fans. And they didn't just throw pom-poms and make a sign for the things that you did, but they knew you well. They knew your darkness. They knew the sins that you struggled with week two. They knew you and they still loved you 
and they saw and they were able to, together with you, and sometimes in spite of you, affirm the signs of God's grace in your life. And you lived amongst a community like that where you were honored and you got the chance to honor one another. Your encouragement meter would go up through the roof. It's not that you would just feel good about yourself. We're not on a a mission to do that. We're on a mission to appreciate the grace of God in each other's lives and our own. When people affirm you and acknowledge those things, you recognize that's not me. That is the grace of God at work in my life. Thank you, God. It does something different to your walk with him. Let's get on with honoring one another. Build it into our culture and see what God will do with us. Let's pray together. Father, when we read um, when we read your word again this morning, it reminds us that you have crowned us with uh, glory and honor. It's just mind-bending for us that that the Creator of the world would would esteem us and would 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 crown us with glory and honor. Thank you for making us in your image. Thank you for making each one of us precious and valuable to you, endowed with worth and, and, and value just because of who we are, because we have been made by the worthiest one, and you have spoken over us that it's good and that you're well pleased with what you've made. And we pray that you would help us to be a church where we build a culture of honoring one another, not just not just pumping each other up, but that we have eyes to see by the grace of God, the, the fingerprints of your grace all over each other's lives, and that you would give us courage to speak those things out, to affirm, to encourage, and to honor one another, not just to pep each other up, but that we would have a grace celebration. Together we would just marvel at the extravagant grace of God lavished all over our lives, week by week, month by month, and year by year. You're so faithful to just continue to place the fingerprints of your grace all over our lives, and I pray that you'd help us to see and to speak. Build into our church family this culture of honoring one another, and with you, Father, please humble our hearts as we look to Jesus. We look to you again this morning, Lord, and we marvel at what you were willing to lay aside for us, we thank you that you were willing to go to the lowest place, to suffer the worst death, so that we could be reconciled to the Father, that we could know without a shadow of a, of a doubt that you love us and that you value us. And as we look to you and to your example, we pray for your help. Would you humble our proud hearts, root us in the soil of humility, and allow encouragement and honor to flower from there for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.